Give me your money. Have you had a cup of union-busting, burnt-and-stale Starbucks coffee this month? Well, you should have given me that money instead. Instead of going to Starbucks and paying for overpriced, stale, union-busting coffee, give me that money instead. Hi, I'm David Feldman, and this is a pledge episode. And I'm asking you for money. I haven't done this in a long time. I haven't been able to summon the courage to ask you for money but I'm asking you today, please go to davidfeldmanshow.com, hit the donate button. I accept all major credit cards. And what do you get in return for your donation? Zero. Nothing other than the show you're listening to right now. I'm not offering coffee mugs. You don't need a coffee mug with my name on it. It's bad for the environment. You don't need a t-shirt. You don't need any of that crap sent to you you're not going to wear it. You're not going to use it. It's just garbage. It ends up in landfills. So if you donate money to me, what you get in return when I get around to it is an email thanking you for your generous donation. That's it. It's good for the environment. Nothing. It's all electronic, which also isn't great for the environment, but it leaves less of a carbon footprint than my giving you garbage like a refrigerator magnet with my face on it. Although that's not a bad idea if you're trying to lose weight. I think if you <laughs> if you go to the refrigerator to eat and you see my face first, your stomach will turn. Maybe actually, maybe that's not a bad idea, but not now. This is a pledge episode. I'm asking you to go to davidfeldmanshow.com and give me money. Give me your money. Give me money. If I keep you company at all with my interesting guests and thoughts, it's worth a dollar. It's worth $5 a month. It's worth whatever. This show is a labor of love, but it is labor. I like to believe there are some people out there who have some extra cash sitting around that they're willing to share with me to help keep this very special show going. Please go to David Feldman Show. Dot com. I accept all major credit cards. Again, you get nothing in return other than this show. I owe thank you notes to all the people who've been donating without my even asking. So thank you. I've fallen a little behind in going over the books. I see that some people have donated. I owe you all thank you notes. And this is the week I'm opening up my books and looking at who donates to the show. And I and I will start sending out thank you notes. But again, I'm not offering anything in return other than a thank you note. There are no special levels for exclusive audio content. All the audio content is free. And if you go to my website, it's free going all the way back to 2009 when I first started the podcast. All of it is free. Information should be free. I know most of my listeners can't afford to donate. But if you have some extra cash lying around, if you're going to go treat yourself to a union-busting cup of stale Starbucks, give me that money instead. Make your coffee at home. Go to davidfeldmanshow.com. Hit the donate button. I accept all major credit cards. And when I get around to it, I will send you an email thanking you. That's it. That's all I can afford. My time is limited. Your time is limited. Do you really want to waste time with a package of garbage from me? If you do, you're probably not, not a listener to the you're not a listener of this show. The people who want gifts in return for donations, they don't listen to this show. And I need to focus on producing this show. You need to focus on your life. I've got a lot to do prepping the show, reading, writing. You know by now that I'm not a hustler. I'm not going to sell you something. The show is what the show is, and I have a limited audience. I'm not for everyone. It costs me money and time to get the show up, and we're, as you know, doing it seven days a week. It used to be two six- to seven-hour shows a week. That was killing me. It was just inhumane, and it was unfair to the listeners and the guests. I've decided it's better to do it every day so you don't have to dig through a seven-hour show to find out what you want to listen to. Today's show, 
is highlights from the past month that I'm going to play for you to, to remind you of what this show is in the hopes that you will go to davidfeldmanshow.com and give me money. I will be interrupting throughout today's episode asking you for money. All this week, I will be asking you for money. I haven't done it in a while because it's awkward. But go to davidfeldmanshow.com. I accept all major credit cards. If you donate money to keep the show going, eventually when I get around to it, you will get an email thanking you. That's it. That's all I'm offering other than the best show I can possibly do. All I'm offering you is my heart. The question is on passage of the joint resolution. Members will record their votes by electronic device. This is a five-minute vote. Yes, that is the putrid Marjorie Taylor Greene, who presided over the House on Wednesday as Congress debated student loan forgiveness. That's how serious Kevin McCarthy takes this debt ceiling crisis. He, he lets Marjorie Taylor Greene preside over the House. Well, Marjorie Taylor Greene, it's not the first time that she's been handed the gavel to preside over the House. It's part of the deal she struck earlier this year. The deal was, I'll support Kevin McCarthy in his bid to become speaker, and you give me the gavel, and I get to play speaker a couple of times. Now, before the vote was taken, and I'll give you the results of the vote in a second, but before they voted on whether or not to block Joe Biden's student loan forgiveness, Marjorie Taylor Greene was presiding over the debate on the bill. And Majority Leader Steve Scalise, Republican, got up. And some Democrats got a little vociferous. They murmured and uh, they made a little noise. And this did not sit well with the presiding officer, Marjorie Taylor Greene. The members are reminded to abide by decorum of the House. I'm not the first one showing you this. I hope this is being played all over the world. The Democrats laughing at Marjorie Taylor Greene saying this. The members are reminded to abide by decorum of the House. <laughs> the insanity of giving the gavel to Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, all she was asking is that members abide by the decorum of the House. And they laughed at her. What did Marjorie Taylor Greene ever do to earn the, the contempt of Democrats in the House, other than scream at Joe Biden during this year's State of the Union, calling him a liar? She called the head of Homeland Security a liar. She calls Ashley Babbitt a hero. She tries to secure the release from prison of the January 6th rioters who try to kill Nancy Pelosi. It's kind of ironic to hear one of the biggest supporters of January 6th trying to restore order in the House. She was giving tours the night before to people who ended up in jail after January 6th. Well, long story short, the House voted 218 to 203 to block Joe Biden's student loan forgiveness. And now the bill makes its way to the Senate, where thankfully it will die. One of the, one of the recipients of a 150,000 PPP loan, Paycheck Protection Program loan, was the wonderful Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, she thinks forgiving student loan debt would be inflationary. She thinks it's unfair. Speaking of people with fourth grade educations, Don Jr. has a show called Trigger. 
And occasionally he and Kimberly, before the show starts, you know, his girlfriend, Kimberly Gargoyle, they, they try to mix his Adderall and Valium just right. But sometimes, you know, the pressure to get the show ready, they, they don't get the mixture of Adderall and Valium right. And occasionally the Oedipal conflicts just below the surface seep into Don Jr.'s monologue. Policy grounds or personality. Trump has the charisma of a mortician and the energy that makes Jeb Bush look like an Olympian. The policies of a DC swamp rat, because we've seen, we've seen the flip-flops, right? So he, he you see who he's, he was trying to attack, Ron DeSantis, but some Oedipal Freudian slip, and he said, Trump has the charisma of a mortician and the energy that makes Jeb Bush look like an Olympian. Uh, or to put it another way. Well, the Senate amendment, the amendment is acceptable to the author. Is there objection to the opposite amendment? <laughs> they're just a party of degenerates. And they're going to get us all killed. <laughs> it's great. They're getting us all killed. They're all closeted homosexuals, drinking, shooting, lying, cheating. Well, then Don Jr. on his show Triggered accused Ron DeSantis of being a girly boy. I'm not making this up. I think what I noticed most about this whole failure to launch was without the visuals, because it's an audio only program, you realize just how sort of nasally and effeminate his voice is. I like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get rid of that thought uh, now that it's been sort of isolated. You know, when you're on TV and you got visuals, you get a little distracted. Yeah, he was talking about Ron DeSantis launching his campaign on Twitter Spaces, which was just audio. And Don Jr., who's a, just a masculine male man, said that when you just hear Ron DeSantis's voice without the visuals, he sounds like a girly boy. Yes, Ron DeSantis isn't man enough for Don Trump Jr. Ron DeSantis is effeminate, not like Don Jr.'s father, who went to military school and learned how to march in uniform. You know, I would like to say, I really would like to say that Ron DeSantis, unlike the Trumps, actually served our country. But I can't. Ron DeSantis wore the uniform, but so did Tom Cruise in A Few Good Men. <laughs> he wore a uniform, too. Ron DeSantis play-acted as a, a soldier. He was a JAG officer, which means he took time off from Yale Law School to, or maybe it was Harvard Law School, uh, but he took, uh, took time off from some big-name law school to pad his resume by wearing the uniform and working as a lawyer for the military. JAG officers work as prosecutors or defense attorneys during court-martials. Yes, they go to combat zones, but they don't fight. They're lawyers. They don't fight. They wear the uniform. The only action Ron DeSantis ever saw was while he was stationed at Gitmo watching prisoners get waterboarded. And he said absolutely nothing. Said nothing. That's the only action he saw. You're listening to highlights of the David Feldman Show. This is a pledge episode. Please go to davidfeldmanshow.com. Hit the donate button. I accept all major credit cards. Thank you for listening. That's a picture of Donald Trump dancing to YMCA. Well, the wife of the Village People's lead singer wants Donald Trump to stop dancing and playing YMCA at his rallies for fear Americans will think the band, the Village People, which produced countless gay anthems during the late 1970s, she's worried that people are going to think that the Village People have endorsed Donald Trump. After receiving a cease and desist order threatening to sue, Trump's attorney, Joe Tacopina, said he would only deal with attorneys representing the Village People, not the lead singer's wife. How dismissive, right? The lead singer's wife. I'm not talking to a woman. Joe Tacopina then added the village people should be grateful that Donald Trump 
is making their music popular again. Yes, up until Donald Trump started playing YMCA at his rallies, you would never hear YMCA at a sporting event. You know, it always amazes me how stupid Trump supporters are. YMCA is a gay anthem. It, it celebrates. Now, I understand if you're young, you don't know this. If you didn't grow up in the 80s, you, you wouldn't know this. But the people who show up at the Trump rallies are my age and older, and they know, or they should, if their brains weren't so addled by sugar, they would be able to remember that the village people were a gay disco band in the late 70s. YMCA is a gay song. It celebrates men hooking up for gay sex at the YMCA. And I see this being played at Trump rallies and him dancing. I think, oh, he know, he's just mocking his supporters. He's just like rubbing it in their face. Like, look how stupid you are. And you're all clapping and I'm dancing to, to a gay anthem in front of a bunch of brain dead homophobes. YMCA is not a song that celebrates the Young Men's Christian Association. It's a song celebrating gay sex at the Young Men's Christian Association. And Trump knows that. He knows YMCA is a gay anthem. It was recorded by the village people who are gay icons celebrating Greenwich Village, right? The village people they're from Greenwich Village, the site of the Stonewall riot. Donald Trump knows this. This is just him mocking his supporters. He lived through Studio 54. He knows exactly what YMCA is about. And when he plays it, he doesn't believe the hundreds and thousands of homophobes dancing with him. He just likes to watch them dance to a gay anthem. He, he, he likes to laugh inside at how stupid his supporters are. They don't know it. They don't know that YMCA is a gay anthem. Why? Because if you're a homophobe, you're an effing moron. It's unbelievable how stupid. And we're letting them take over. We're letting the stupid people decide. This is a pledge episode. Please go to davidfeldmanshow.com. Republican Senator Tim Scott, who declared he's running for president on Monday. He's a Republican from South Carolina. He needs to explain why he's not married. South Carolina Republican Senator Tim Scott, as Howie Klein pointed out on our May 22nd show, Tim Scott is 57 and he's unmarried. What's going on? You're a Republican. Family values. Ron DeSantis has declared Florida the citadel of normalcy. In the Republican Party, it is normal to be married and have kids. Republican Senator Tim Scott is an evangelical Christian. They are against same-sex marriage. They are, they are for marriage. And kids, why doesn't Republican Senator Tim Scott, who's running for president, why doesn't he have children? Why isn't he married? At the age of 30, Tim Scott was running for public office and proudly declared he was a virgin. OK, that works for me if you're a devout evangelical Christian. But Republicans are the citadels of normalcy. The Republican Party that Tim Scott so proudly belongs to is dictating to teachers and parents and students that you have to be normal. It isn't normal for a 57-year-old Republican male to be single. It isn't normal for a man to announce he's a virgin at the age of 30. It isn't normal for an African-American like Tim Scott to insist this country isn't racist. Now, if my father were alive, he'd say, leave Tim Scott's marital status, your dog whistle about his sexuality, leave it, don't bring it up. 
Sorry, Dad. He's a Republican. And the party that the unmarried Tim Scott is so proud to be a leader in, he refuses to leave our sexuality out of it. He wants the Republican nomination for president. And because his party can't create, only destroy, his party once again is making human sexuality an issue. So explain yourself, Tim Scott. Why are, why are you not married? Why do you not have kids? You're 57 years old. You, you proudly proclaimed your virginity at the age of 30. That's not normal. Are you still a virgin? It is very much germane to the conversation. Your sexuality as a Republican is very much in play. Is there a woman in your life? Is there going to be a first lady, Tim Scott? If not, why not? Right now, men and women are being marginalized because of the Republican Party and committing suicide because of the Republican Party's decision to make it open season on the LGBTQ community. Given what's happening to blacks and members of the LGBTQ plus community in red states, an unmarried African-American who is a proud Republican has a lot of explaining to do. I don't care what my father would tell me. I'm not messing around. Explain yourself, Tim Scott. Are you a virgin? Is there a woman in your life? Why aren't you married? You're listening to a pledge episode. Give me your money. The 69th annual meeting of the Bilderberg Group began on Thursday in Portugal. The Bilderberg Group. That's 130 business people, academics, bankers, and politicians. They're holding their secret meeting. You, you cannot talk about what goes on at the Bilderberg meetings. It will be three days. Started on Thursday. They're discussing financial and geopolitical issues. And of course, the real reason they're there is to keep QAnon followers glued to the Internet, eating Cheetos and warning each other about the one world government. The Bilderberg Group has a website. Good luck getting on it. I was able to get on it briefly. Traffic was busy all day. And the website says the topic of discussion at the Bilderberg Group meeting will be artificial intelligence with Sam Altman, founder and CEO of OpenAI. He just testified this week, warning about artificial intelligence. Sam Altman will be joining the Bilderberg Group. Also showing up for the Bilderberg Group will be Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella, former Google CEO Eric Schmidt, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, and Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitro Kuliba. The CEO of Pfizer, Albert Berla, will be meeting at the Bilderberg Convention. Pay attention, anti-vaxxers. Albert Berla, CEO of Pfizer, will be at the, <laughs> the Bilderberg I can't wait to read those chat rooms. BP British Petroleum Chief Bernard Looney. That's a good name for uh, the head of a fossil fuel company. Bernard Looney. Total Energies CEO Patrick Puyane. And the very evil Peter Thiel, the investor Peter Thiel. The right wing investor Peter Thiel will be there. And you can't have a meeting of evil warlords without Henry Kissinger, who is still alive. Henry Kissinger will be there because it's not <laughs> it's not a, a congregation of moral assassins unless Henry <laughs> war criminal Henry Kissinger is there war criminal Henry Kissinger still alive, still alive, because even Satan doesn't want Henry Kissinger. It's 
It's like God and Satan. You take them. I don't want them. The Bilderberg Group uh, gets its name from the Bilderberg Hotel in the Netherlands, which is also Holland, by the way, if you're from QAnon. What's that about? Why are the Netherlands also called Holland? Hmm? What are they trying to Why do they have a double identity? QAnon should get on that. I want to know why the Netherlands also calls itself Holland. Hmm. Very suspicious. The first meeting of the Bilderberg Group was held at the Bilderberg Hotel in uh, 1954. And uh, so they called it the Bilderberg Group. They named it after the hotel, the same way the Carlisle Group. Pay attention, QAnon. The Carlisle Group is named after the Carlisle Hotel in Manhattan. The Carlisle Group. Read about the Carlisle Group, how it. It's the biggest defense contractor in the world. Tony Blair, the Bush family. And so the, the I'm just, you know, I know I have a lot of QAnon listeners. The Bilderberg Group is named after the Bilderberg Hotel. And the Carlisle Group is named after the Carlisle Hotel here in Manhattan. And I just found out the David Feldman Show fan club is named the Econo Lodge Easy 8 Motel Group. Apparently they... Love My Fan Club holds their meetings in Newark, New Jersey at the Econo Lodge Easy 8 Motel. They love the hotel. You get a free bear claw in the morning. And so they've they've called My Fan Club the Econo Lodge Easy 8 Motel Group. So think about this, QAnon. You got the Bilderberg Group named after the Bilderberg Hotel in the Netherlands. You got the Carlisle Group named after the Carlisle Hotel in Manhattan, and the David Feldman Fan Club, named after the Econo Lodge Easy 8 Motel. They call it the Econo Lodge Easy 8 Motel Group. They even kept motel in the name of my fan club. All right, I just want to see how many people I could push away from me. Uh, Prince Bernard of the Netherlands, also of Holland. I want to know what that's about. Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands was the founder of the Bilderberg Group, founded by Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands. But he was not Dutch by birth. He married the Dutch royal family's Princess Juliana in 1937. Before he married Princess Juliana of Holland or the Netherlands or Dutch, country. Uh, I don't think they ever called it Dutch country. Uh, before he married Princess Juliana, uh, Prince Bernard was a German aristocrat. Or to put it another way, he was a Nazi. The founder of the Bilderberg Group, Prince Bernhard, was a Nazi. Uh, he was a member of the SS. And then he married in 1937. I mean, the Nazis were in full bloom like the tulips in Holland by 1937. And Prince Bernard, member of the SS, married the Dutch royal family's princess, Juliana. Now, in all fairness to Prince Bernhard, uh, during World War II, he fought against Hitler. <coughs> well, I have a tickle in my throat, QAnon. What, what, what is that about? Well, notice I'm talking about the Bilderberg Group, and all of a sudden there's a tickle in my throat. What's that about? Hmm? I'd look into that. I didn't have any problems talking throughout the entire show. Suddenly I'm talking about the Bilderberg Group, and I got a tickle in my throat. Huh? Coincidence? I don't think so. Well, Prince Bernard, the founder of the Bilderberg Group, in all fairness to the man, even though he was a member of the SS, he fought against Hitler on the side of the Netherlands, which is also called Holland. But that's only because his wife, Princess Juliana, made him, right? You marry the Dutch royal princess and Hitler invades your wife's country. You got to, you know, you got to fight Hitler because you got to do things to please the wife. That's how it, that's how it works, right? You marry Princess Juliana, you got to have dinner with the Hollenzollers. 
every Friday night. You can't stand the wife, Magda Hollenzahler, loudmouth, but your wife is best friends with Magda Hollenzahler. You married the Dutch princess. You have dinner with the Hollenzahlers. You got to listen to her and, and take arms against mein Fuhrer. Happy wife, happy life. So a member of the SS, Prince Bernard, fought against Mein Fuhrer, uh, even though he was a member of the SS, uh, to make his wife happy. And I'm sure she still wasn't happy. I'm sure she found something. And then he went on to found uh, the Bilderberg Group. But in 1976, Prince Bernard was forced to step down as head of the Bilderberg Group when Dutch investigators concluded he accepted bribes from America's Lockheed Aircraft Corporation. He took money from Lockheed to encourage the Dutch government to buy their jets from Lockheed, and he had to step down from the Bilderberg Group. Seems to me that should have made him like the king of the Bilderberg Group. Well, <clears throat> do I believe the Bilderberg Group, which started meeting Thursday, do I believe it's a secret society where world leaders gather to determine our fate? Well, yeah. I mean, they are sworn to secrecy. They are world leaders. They are incredibly powerful. These meetings at the Bilderberg Group are mostly about coordinating economic activities between Europe and North America. So, yeah, it's a conspiracy. It's a bunch of rich men some women, mostly men, conspiring to make more money and gain more power, gain more access to political power. That's a conspiracy. The same way I conspired with a couple of people today to do this show. The same way the five wealthiest families in America conspire to control our tax code. You see, you don't need to be suffering from paranoid delusions to believe the very rich and the very powerful work together, conspire, if you will, to transfer the world's assets upwards to them, right? If there are, that's a conspiracy. If there are 8 billion people on this planet and 50 of them out of 8 billion have all the money and power, yeah, there's a conspiracy of the rich and the powerful. Luckily, however, they are all stupid. Their children are even dumber. They all hate each other, including themselves, which means when they're not killing us, they're killing each other. So that's how I sleep at night, knowing that these people are gonna kill themselves. Like I said, root for the iceberg. $500 million yacht still won't recognize the Amazon labor union. Jeff Bezos, peace oh shit. That's his name in Ireland, his, his name in Gaelic. Jeff Bezos, peace oh shit. <laughs> peace oh shit. But Jeff Bezos' is, uh, Irish name. So let's get that going. And uh, what's the other one I wanted? Oh, this one, the Marquis de Santis. Let's let's make that his nickname, the Marquis de Santis. All right. You're listening to highlights of the David Feldman show. This is a pledge episode. Please go to davidfeldmanshow.com, hit the donate button. I accept all major credit cards. Thank you for listening. A woman who worked for Rudy Giuliani from 2019 until 2021 filed a lawsuit on Monday in Manhattan Supreme Court, saying while Rudy was working as Donald Trump's lawyer, he ordered her to lie to the FBI and perform oral sex while he was on the phone talking to Donald Trump. Noelle Dumphy is also suing Giuliani for sexual assault and harassment. Dumphy charges Giuliani forced her to engage in violent sex and show up to video conferences topless. She was also ordered to work at the office wearing tight shorts that were red, white and blue, as opposed to Rudy's shorts, which were red, white and soiled. Dumphy claims Giuliani, while drenched in alcohol, would say horrible things about blacks, women and Jews. In other words, he's a Republican. Well, 
Donald J. Trump is the former president of the United States, and I talked with him earlier today, and it is not Robert Smigel. I, I can swear in a Bible this is Donald J. Trump. Thank you. Thank well, hey, you. Take it, take it, take it, David. Thank you. Thank because you. I know, David, how much your people like to take. Uh, I'm sorry, my, my people? You know, David, the Soros people, the Soros worshippers, the mm. Soros backers, all mm. those people. Like the Jews. You, you mean the Jews. Who said anything about the Jews? You're so gross, David, putting words in my mouth, David. Just, Mr. President, you just said the Soros worshippers. I have no idea what you're talking about. Come David. on, you're being disingenuous. I with love all... the Jews, David. I love Trump loves the Jews, David. My daughter married a Soros-backed worshipping <laughs> person, David. Soros-backed... Terrific people, David. The Soros-backed, Soros-worshipping Soros people. That they have is, amazing powers, David. That is classic code for they the Jews. amazing powers, these people. They can take any judge... And turn him into a liberal, David. <laughs> Any judge they want with their amazing Soros-backed powers, David. <laughs> you do realize that this is... What? I'm talking about the Soros people. You're talking about the Jews. Did That's I a... mention the Jews? You're the one who can't stop talking <laughs> about the Jews, David. You're the only one in the room. Who said anything about the Jews? And by the way, I might as well be an honorary Soros-backed, Soros-worshipping person. Because the Soros worshippers in the holy land of is Soros, they love Trump. I'm sorry, what, what, what country? What country are you talking about? The holy land of is Soros. Is Soros. There's is a Soros, the capital Jerusalem. <laughs> it used to be Tel, Tel Soros, and then I took care of that day. Like, I said, I want the embassy in Jerusalem. <laughs> Jerusalem. Jerusalem, because believe me, the Soros worshippers and Is Soros, they can't believe. I'll tell you what they can't believe, and this is so sad, David. Yeah. Did you know that the Soros-backed Soros worshippers <laughs> in America, they don't vote for Trump. It's incredible because the holy land of Soros <laughs> never had a bigger friend than Trump. Ask anyone in Jerusalem. Who's the prime minister of Soros? It's Benjamin Netanyahu Soros. <laughs> He knows where his matzah is. <laughs> Did you say he knows which side his matzah has the horseradish? He ranch? knows where his matzah is cream cheese. <laughs> he knows, David. He knows. So you are the biggest friend of Is Soros, the, the country Is Soros. Okay. Okay. I, I think you're gaslighting me. You know, you're very charming. I don't and know amusing. what you're talking about, David. I, I feel your gas. Now I feel you're charming me. And First, uh, I don't like the Jews. Now I'm a gaslighter. Let me ask you something. I'm asking you to ask me. Okay. Why do I love the West Bank so much? Because I do. I love the West Bank. I love the West Bank, David. Okay. Why and do then, I love the West Bank? Why do you... Go ahead and ask, David. Why okay. do I love the West Bank? Why do you love the Go West Bank? Go ahead. Why Go do ahead you, and ask. Why do you love the West ask Bank? Ask me, David. Why, the, the West Bank, why do you, Donald Trump, love the West Bank? Because it's the only bank in the world I don't owe money to, David. Get it? Hmm. West yes. Bank. Take yes. it, David. That's your joke. Take it. Take the joke, David. Thank you. Thank you. That's charity. That's me providing charity for poor Soros-backed people that need help, David. You're trying to do a comedy. Take the joke, David. Thank you. 
Take the West Bank joke, David, just like you took the West Bank from the Palestinians. <laughs> See, that's not nice. No, David, take it. You people left. I love you people because you people just love to take. Okay, again, with my take, people, David. my people. Why would we you said anything about the Jews, David? <laughs> you, you just I haven't heard a single word. About the Jews, except you just said my people, the Jews. It's a little uncomfortable. Hey, but let me ask you something. How could Donald Trump? How could Trump possibly hate the Jews? My Lord and Savior, David Jesus Christ, was originally a Soros back, <laughs> Soros worshipping Sorosian. <laughs> he was a Sorosian. He was a Sorosian, and then he realized that the Sorosians were donating to Alvin Bragg, David. Alvin Bragg. To the disgusting, corrupt DA. So uh, Alvin so Bragg. Sorosians were donating to Alvin Bragg, and Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to create my own religion. Hmm. It did, David. Made a fortune, too. <laughs> Jesus made a huge fortune, David. Very smart. But love, David. It was all a lot of money, all made from love, David. Sweet. That is my exclusive interview with Donald J. Trump, former president of the United States. We talked earlier this morning. That is uh, Donald Trump, the 40. I'm being handed a note here. Hang on for one second. See, I'm being told. That that is not Donald Trump. I'm being told that it's Robert Smigel. Uh, I don't know who Robert Smigel is. I never met the man. This is a pledge episode. Please go to davidfeldmanshow.com and donate. The Biden inflation we were told and lied to about, we were told it was first caused by supply chain issues, coupled with a shortage of employees, who don't want to work because of government handouts. It was a lie when they said it. And now the information is coming in and inflation, the Biden inflation that we're dealing with. It's what I said it was. It's caused by greed. I said this last year. Check, check the company earnings. If people knew how to read a spreadsheet and look at company earnings, they could tell that inflation is caused by greed. And now the New York Times, this is from today's New York Times headline, companies push prices higher, protecting profits, but adding to inflation. Corporate profits have been bolstered by higher prices, even as some of the costs of doing business have fallen in recent months. So pay attention to this. Send it to your idiot Republican friends, because this is the truth about inflation. The prices of oil, transportation, food ingredients, and other raw materials have fallen in recent months, as the shocks stemming from the pandemic and the war in Ukraine have faded. Yet many big businesses, big businesses have continued raising prices at a rapid clip. Get it? Okay. The story goes on. For much of the past two years, most companies, quote, had a perfectly good excuse to go ahead and raise prices, said Samuel Rines, an economist and the managing director of Corbu, a research firm that serves hedge funds and other investors. Samuel Rines goes on to say, quote, everybody knew that the war in Ukraine was inflationary, that grain prices were going up, Blah, blah, blah. That's what he said. Blah, blah, blah. And they just took advantage of that. We're now learning what I told you a year ago, that inflation is caused by greed. Reporting in the New York Times shows that corporations are no longer dealing with supply chain issues. They never really were. But they kept raising prices. Why? Because they can. Because we were all told there's supply chain issues and that there's a war in Ukraine. And as that economist said, blah, 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 blah. If people believe inflation is real, raise prices. And the, they increased prices. 
it's not due to corporations passing their increased costs on to customers. That's what they want you to believe. Check the profit margins every quarter. These companies report their earnings. There are no new increased costs, just increased profits. Inflation, inflation that we're going through right now is because corporations are raising prices. They are charging more, not because their labor costs have gone up or the costs of materials have gone up. They are raising prices because raising prices increase profits. And they can get away with it because most Americans are economic illiterates who believe what the loudest voices say about inflation. Now, there are several ways to solve the inflation problem. One is to do what we're doing right now, and that's to have the Fed just keep raising interest rates, make the cost of borrowing so prohibitively expensive economic growth sputters, and we go into a recession, if not a depression, and the demand for goods, well, that goes down, so corporations are forced to lower their prices. That's the Fed's plan, (laughs) to destroy the economy, to bring inflation down. Seems awfully cruel to create a recession to throw all those people out of work just to bring down prices. And by the way, corporations... Yes, they have begun to lay people off, but they're just replacing them with cheaper workers. If you look at what's going on in big tech, yeah, they're big layoffs. They're just bringing in men and women from India who work cheaper. Another way to whip inflation now, as former President Gerald Ford used to say, is to institute a series of price freezes. That would be where the president of the United States declares an emergency He has the power to say it's against the law to increase prices. Now, if that seems like communism or, you know, fascism, it's what Richard Nixon did. I believe it was in 71. I'm not sure. Nixon just said you can't raise prices for anything. But that's the type of government intervention most Americans these days would find overly intrusive. Here's the best way to whip inflation. The best way to whip inflation is to use the antitrust laws already on the books and create the kind of competition that lowers prices. When only one company provides internet or cable service, they pretty much get away with charging whatever they want. Likewise, when a handful of companies manufacture all the wood, then coffins become more expensive. Did you know there's such a thing as big coffin? It's a monopoly that nobody likes to think about. Oil, they can charge whatever they want because they're only a handful of, handful of oil companies. They should all be put out of business, but there's no competition. When there are more companies fighting for the same dollar, they lower their prices. You want to bring down inflation? bust the monopolies wide open the way they used to. You break up big tech, big ag, the cost for everything will come down, even while wages go up. Wages will go up because these new companies, you know, you bust up a company, then new companies spring up. They're going to scramble to hire fresh talent. They're going to have to lure fresh talent with higher wages. It's a win-win for everybody but the five wealthiest families in this country who own Washington and every single business school and university that teaches economics. They keep Americans dumb when it comes to economics. So we keep electing stupid politicians like Ronald Reagan, George W. Bush, and Donald Trump. As long as we keep electing stupid politicians who make us dumber, we will never understand basic economics and we will fall prey to the liars who continue to say lowering taxes for the wealthy pays for itself. It doesn't. We will continue to believe that lowering taxes for the wealthy increases jobs. It doesn't. It doesn't matter how many times we've proven that supply-side economics doesn't work. 
The rich want us to believe that. You know why? Because they don't want to pay taxes. So they will lie and cheat and pay people, pay economists and politicians to say anything, convince you and me of anything just so they don't have to pay taxes. And in order to pull this off, you and I have to be economically illiterate. We have to be stupid. We can't understand basic economics 101. We have to believe the lie that lowering taxes for the wealthy pays for itself. Well, look at the budget deficit, right? Seven trillion, it's, it's $32 trillion. Seven trillion of that belongs to Donald Trump because of the Trump tax cuts. The rest comes from George W. Bush because of his tax cuts and Ronald Reagan because of his tax cuts. If the American people continue to be this dumb, every lie can be repeated over and over until we believe it. It's how we got into Iraq, and it's how we're getting into an economic downturn of income inequality that is going to be insurmountable until the American people wake up and understand that whatever comes out of the mouths of rich people is a lie. Think of your boss when you ask for a raise. He or she will say anything, do anything, except give you the raise that you deserve. He will, he will claim poverty. He will say next year, people who have money are liars. Everything taught at Harvard when it comes to economics is a lie because they have an endowment of $100 billion. They're controlled by rich people and rich people are effing liars. Don't trust them with your job, your life, or your family. You're listening to highlights of the David Feldman Show. This is a pledge episode. Please go to davidfeldmanshow.com. Hit the donate button. I accept all major credit cards. Thank you for listening. You know, we make fun of Texas on this show, but they are very generous towards people with disabilities. For example, their governor, Greg Abbott, is confined to a wheelchair after a tree branch snapped, landed on his back in the mid-80s. And despite refusing to enforce the Americans with Disabilities Act while he was attorney general of Texas, he was still able to collect millions of dollars from the owner of that tree, even though he has since dedicated much of his political career towards tort reform and capping the kind of settlements he received to about $250,000. In other words, he collected millions of dollars on his settlement and then after he got his settlement, he's made it impossible for anyone else to get that kind of settlement again. And that says a lot about Texas's character. They elected him governor. They're very understanding and supportive of people with disabilities. And now it turns out Texas has a speaker. His name is Dade Phelan. He's a Republican from Beaumont, Texas. And apparently, Speaker Dade Phelan, Republican of Texas, apparently he suffered a massive stroke last week. But the people of Texas couldn't be more supportive of the man. I think this is great. You have a governor in a wheelchair, and now you have a, a, the Speaker of the Texas House had a massive stroke, and he's still showing up to work each day, and nobody questions him. Here is Texas Speaker Dade Phelan. Last Friday night, toiling away, working for the people, not letting a massive stroke stop him from doing the people's business, the people's business of Texas, like persecuting the LGBTQ community and making sure everyone has an assault weapon. Mr. Speaker, I'll move adoption. Mr. Campbell, send out amendment. The amendment is acceptable to the author. Is there objection to the opposite amendment? The chair has done. The amendment is adopted. The chair recognizes Mr. Mr. Johnson of Harris. Mr. Johnson of Harris to speak in opposition to the bill. It's not right. You want the chair recognizes Mr. Johnson of Harris. 
The chair recognizes Ms. Niave Criado to speak in opposition to the bill. Isn't that great? I mean, you know, I'm sorry this man had a stroke, but he's an, an inspiration to all of us. The speaker of Texas has a massive stroke and just gets right up there and keeps working. Mr. Campbell, send that amendment. The amendment is acceptable to the author. Is there objection to the opposite amendment? And the chair has done the amendment. is adopted. Excuse what? Oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't a massive stroke. Texas Speaker Dade Phelan was shit-faced. My mistakes. Well, send that amendment. The amendment is acceptable to the author. Is there objection to the opposite amendment? That's too bad. I thought it was a massive stroke. And I was proud of the guy. Turns out he's just an alcoholic. Well, it's too bad. And Ken Paxton, the attorney general, the chief law enforcement officer of the state, he saw the speaker, the Texas speaker, trying to speak, the, the slurrer of the House of Texas. Uh, that's Ken Paxton. And he's the attorney general of Texas, the chief law enforcement officer of the, the state. And, and he saw that the speaker was drunk and immediately called for him to resign. Uh, Ken Paxton said that the speaker was embarrassing the state of Texas. And given that Texas keeps reelecting Ted Cruz, you know, that state doesn't embarrass easy. But you know what? Maybe Ken Paxton shouldn't have said anything. The attorney general should have kept his mouth shut. Because on Thursday, a Republican-led committee in the House that's run by the shit-faced Dade Phelan, the speaker, miraculously, I just a coincidence, Ken Paxton calls for the speaker to resign. And then all of a sudden, one of the speaker's committees recommends that Attorney General Ken Paxton be impeached. Now, we've all known about Ken Paxton for at least 10 years, Right. Why is he all of a sudden impeachable? Because their dipsomaniac of a speaker is in charge. And he said, nobody calls me an alcoholic. Impeach the guy. Uh, I think that's what he said. What he said was this. Well, the amendment, the amendment is acceptable to the author. Is there objection to the opposite amendment? I think in drunkies, that means impeach Ken Paxton for calling me a, uh, a drunk. Uh, can you imagine wanting to impeach an attorney general just because he calls you a drunk? Well, actually, Ken Paxton, well, he was indicted back in 2015 on charges of securities fraud and failing to register with the state securities board while serving as a state legislator in Texas. He was selling investments and lying to potential investors, and he was indicted. Somehow the trial has yet to take place. There's another indictment. And in back back in February of this year, the attorney general who was indicted in 2015, the attorney general agreed to pay deputies working underneath him inside the attorney general's office. He agreed to pay them three point three million dollars and apologize. He apologized for his retaliation. He apologized because he retaliated right after these four Lawyers working in the Texas State Justice Department accused him of committing several crimes. So the attorney general doesn't like being called a criminal. So he retaliated and then they sued and the attorney general settled, agreed to apologize to them and paid them three point three million dollars. Well, actually, it didn't come out of his pocket. The state of Texas is giving his four deputies, the $3.3 million. So to be clear here, Ken Paxton, the attorney general of Texas, had people working underneath them and they were paid to prosecute criminals. But when these four deputies discovered that the guy they were working for might be a criminal, they spoke up and he retaliated for senior staffers working underneath attorney general Ken Paxton of Texas will now split the $3.3 million. They already received an apology from Ken Paxton, the attorney general. And as I said, $3.3 million isn't coming out of Ken Paxton's pocket. The state of Texas is paying those fines. It's great to be a white man in Texas, isn't it? Indicted in 2015, 
still no trial. And then on Thursday of this week, miraculously, for some reason, the Texas House filed 20 charges of impeachment against Ken Paxton, attorney general. One of those charges is bribery. Uh, I don't understand why we've known this man was a criminal since 2015, and yet the Texas House did nothing. Maybe the speaker, can you explain why, uh, Speaker Phelan, can you explain why the House waited so long? Well, the amendment is acceptable to the author. Is there objection to the opposite amendment? Ah, okay, thank you for explaining that to us, Speaker Phelan of Beaumont, Texas. What a great state Texas is. You're listening to a pledge episode. Give me your money.